listening to Professor Patrick. So I'll just quickly introduce Professor Patrick. He has been a professor at SPC. I should have gotten this information for you before I started making stuff up. 11 years. And, uh, and he has recently been my professor. He was my Anabaptist history professor. So for those of you who have heard me telling stories and talking incessantly and being inspired and, uh, and uh, passionate about that subject, he's the man responsible. And uh, looking forward to hear him uh, share from God's word with us. So uh, if I can pray for you before you sure. start, and then let's go. God, thank you for Professor Patrick, for uh, the important ministry that he's doing uh, at SBC um, and through these uh, visits. I pray that as he seeks to open up your word um, to teach us, as he seeks to be faithful to you, God, and to scripture, um, that you would bless him, that you would give him the words to say, um, that he would speak to uh, our hearts with your Holy Spirit. Uh, in your name, Jesus, amen. Amen. It's good to be here. Thanks, Jesse, for the introduction. Uh, it's good to have a student uh, introducing you, because then you get all these professor words, but you don't, by the way, you don't need to call me that. Uh, Patrick is just fine. Um, I, I once told students, because uh, we have a kind of a rule that when we go on tour, you can lose the professor bit, okay? Uh, so I said, I'm just Patrick. So then the entire tour, they just called me just Patrick. And I was like, just Patrick. And uh, okay, okay. I'm going to have to come up with something a little bit different than that. Um, Part of that. And uh, I wanted to just give you a sense that uh, at the college, we've just gotten back into kind of our regular uh, classes. We, uh, we broke for a couple weeks on what we call our intermission or our mission X or mission exposure time. And so we had students up in uh, northern, well, we had students in inner city Winnipeg, uh, northern Manitoba, a bunch of, uh, I think everyone here was... Uh, in one of the communities in the, in the far north. Um, and, uh, and then we had a, a team that went to Uganda and just came back uh, from that as well. Uh, I was in Belize, uh, suffering for the sake of the gospel. It was fantastic. Uh, no, I was teaching <laughs> a couple of courses there, uh, but sure. So if, if I look a little, you know, still a little sun in, in the face, uh, I, I definitely took advantage of plus 35. Um, it was... It was not that difficult to do that. Uh, thank you for sending your students to SBC and for supporting the college financially, supporting the college in, uh, in leadership and, and being able to give uh, to SBC. We've been partnering together for years. And yes, if you, those of you need to do the Mennonite game, I am Wilbert Friesen's son, the middle one. Um, and, uh, and then it's like, oh, yes, yes, yes. And I grew up in Roseisle, like just over there. Um, I invite you to turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning of verse 1, I want to read through to verse 13. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to this life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you, haven't, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline, and don't give up when he corrects you. 
For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God, if God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us, so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful, but afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. I can't help but, uh, but be a little bit of a teacher in, in this mode and, and, and a, a teacher when we're going through uh, biblical passages like this. We should put this into context. And, uh, and so here we have a passage in, that would be what I would say is in, in kind of the pinnacle um, of, of the entire sermon. So uh, uh, many people will, will see that, that the, the preacher of Hebrews is, is actually preaching a sermon. That this is uh, a sermon which, by the way, if you read it end to end at a moderate pace, takes about 45 minutes, um, as I've found. 45 to 50 minutes, depending on how fast uh, you end up doing the reading. But here's this crescendo uh, that's coming, uh, coming in, the, in, the, uh, in the sermon in chapter 12. But let's kind of zip through the rest of it just to understand what's led us to this crescendo. Because if you come in just at the, you know, it's coming in at the, at the hallelujah of the Messiah. It, 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 it needs some of that build uh, to get there. And, and so verse 1 starts off and it gives us the, the layout for the entire sermon. It says that God spoke in many, you know, many times in many different ways through the prophets. But now, in a final and complete revelation, he speaks to us through his son. And then it goes on and says that Jesus is the very expression of God, creator and sustainer of everything, that Jesus is the redeemer. In fact, we could go on and on. I get students, when we, when we go through the book of Hebrews, I take those first four verses and say, what do you all find out about Jesus and about God from those four verses? And it's amazing what is packed into four little verses uh, and, and the amount of, of information that the, uh, the, the, that the preacher puts into there. In chapter 1 and part of chapter 2, the, 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 the preacher tells us that Jesus is better than the angels, that through whom the ancients believed God delivered the scriptures, uh, the angels, that Jesus is, is uh, supreme and above the angels, that Jesus is then better than Moses in chapters 3 and 4, through whom Israel was given the law or the Torah, that Jesus is the true high priest, we, we read through chapters 4, uh, 14 and into, into chapter 8, uh, that he is the, the true and complete high priest. He fulfills the sacrificial picture of redemption, that Jesus is the completion of that, uh, of that system. In chapter 9, we're introduced to Jesus as the, as the chief worship leader, the chief worshiper, the liturgist. And it is him that we focus our attention on. And it's all building toward uh, this, this sense that Jesus is our ultimate model for living in chapter 10. 
In chapter 10, verses 19, it begins with a warning. Please note chapter in, in verses 35 and 36. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. I want you to take note of that because we need to see a little bit of the bookends that's happening at the end of verse, if you remember me reading verse 13. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. It sounds an awful lot like uh, chapter 10, verses 35 and 36. That, that patience and endurance is what is needed now. So you'll continue to do God's will. There's this need for us to continue on. But how do we do that? Well, we get into what is likely my favorite chapter, chapter 11, and we get the, the, the chapter of heroes, the, the hall of faith as we sometimes re- refer to it. And this whole thing is this, is this idea that we get examples thrown to us of what it means uh, to live a faithful life. The comparison might be there to, to perhaps, uh, if I ever got the opportunity to speak at the Jets rookie camp, which I would love to be able to do that um, someday. If, you know, if anyone has connections, let me know. Uh, but <laughs> so far, I haven't ever been invited to do that. But, uh, but if, you, if you were, um, and the reason that I, I may be aware of this a little bit more is I have a nephew who's in the... In the um, uh, New York Rangers system right now, and so every June, uh, kind of, yeah, beginning of June, he has to. I mean, he goes into New York, and and they they orientate them in a whole variety of different ways, including how to speak to the media and how to do all sorts of you know those kinds of important things that represent uh, represent the Rangers organization. So if I were to do that for the Jets. What would I do in chapter 11? Well, I might tell you about some of the greats. Bobby Hull, Laurie Boschman, Wade Campbell, Dave Babich, Scott Arneal, Dave Ellett, Bob Asenza, Dale Howarchuk, Thomas Steen. And maybe I'd go on in the same way that the writer of Hebrews says, and if I had time, I would tell you even more about Jim Kite. No, I don't know if we'd talk about him, would we? Uh, but, you know, it's remarkable that even in Hebrews chapter 11, some of the questionable characters of the Old Testament get mentioned. I mean, read the story of Jephthah sometime and go, wait, what? He's in there? Uh, he's listed as the faithful? And yeah, it might be as those of you who are Jets fans, like of the old variety. But you may be realizing that in my list now of Jets, I may have missed out on one. Right? The the. the Golden, oh no, Dale Howard Chuck was there. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Abraham was there. Um, but there's one that I didn't mention. There's the jet that gets special recognition because he was the last of the great one before the jets left. Who am I talking about? Timu. And uh, what about Timu? I mean, how could you do a list of jets? And not include Salani into the into the into the, the list of, of the, the faithful. Well, perhaps because you could, if I again were speaking to the Jets, you would you would say, here is the model of what a jet should be like. So the, and yes, there's been all of these, but there's Timu. Okay? So chapter eleven is all there to build the chapter twelve. And so we have to be careful that we don't 
just isolate chapter 11 without saying that it's all building and saying all of these people, all of these faithful ones were missing something. In fact, at the very end of chapter 11, all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. There is, there is still something waiting. It's, a, it's, a, it's an anticipation language that says, and yet there's something more. So therefore, because of all of these that are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run the race of faith. This cloud of witnesses. You know, I used to, um, I, I used to, I still do. I have a motorcycle and I enjoy riding. And I have a bit of a tradition uh, is I have um, kind of the first ride of the season, I go, um, I have what, what I call my church ride. And so I leave Steinbach and I go north uh, toward Beaujolais. Before you get to Beaujolais, though, I hang a left. And I go to Old Cook's Creek. Um, it's the Ukrainian Catholic church. It's this ornate church. Sometimes it's open. Uh, sometimes I kind of snoop around. Uh, the one time they were mowing the grass and the gates were open, so I went in and, and snooped around. I don't think when I was supposed to, but that's okay. Um, I think I'm forgiven. Uh, but when I leave there, then I go and, and uh, hang a left, and then I go through Birds Hill Park, which is kind of its own church. Um, and uh, it's, 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 it's a beauty all on its own. Uh, I go past the place where I still remember uh, Pope John Paul had his big rally, and and I, not that I was there, but I I was remember as a kid going, being fascinated by by uh, this uh, this pope that was coming to Winnipeg, um, and going, what is all this? But I, I go on because there's a one stop. This is where I'm going to definitely stop and spend some time, and so I head over to to uh, um, oh come on, where the, where the, the slip uh, the uh, the hot dog place. Anyways, Skinner's. And uh, I don't stop there, though, because, yeah, as you can tell, I, I've likely eaten there too often. Uh, I keep on going south, and I get to St. Andrew's on the Red Anglican Church. It is the oldest church in Manitoba. It is a limestone church uh, perched on the banks of the Red River, and it has a, has a stone uh, fence around it. And call me weird, that's okay, but I kind of like cemeteries. I'm, curi- I'm curious by them. And the one thing you'll notice as you come in is that the entire yard is a cemetery. And so for me, I'm, I was curious of, you know, where are the oldest ones? And so in my Mennonite kind of practical way of thinking, I figured the oldest ones must be somewhere in the back because they're going to start at the back and then they ran out of space, and so that's why they're close to the. That's why they're all around the church. And yet, as I would walk, and 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 the first couple of times I'd walk to the back, and I'd I'd start looking back there, and I'd realize that oh, those were like, you know, there's 1950 and there's 1940. I'm like, this church is way older than that. And wh- why am I not seeing like old ones? And then I move closer to the front of the church, and you realize that the oldest ones are actually right at the front. And here, the church and the church and the Anglican church practices this maybe more than any others, but they 
they took this cloud of witnesses idea and said, how could we visually demonstrate that on our churchyards? And so they put, the, 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 you had to walk through the cemetery to get to church. And that every Sunday as you're walking in, you'd be reminded that there's people who've gone before you. There's, you're worshiping with these witnesses that have gone before you. And I thought, wow, that's fascinating. That is a great visual reminder. Now, I'm not saying that we should, you know, quickly, you know, start putting uh, uh, gravestones all the way around, uh, around the church. But I said, how else do we do this? And interestingly enough, we do this at SBC a little bit, although we don't call it in the same way. But we have the, the Hall of Alumni. When you come in, it, it greets you and it goes to the right. And it's there in part, in large part, because we want those of you who attended SBC, when you visit, to go back and look and go, oh my goodness, did I ever look interesting. Um, or I, I, I sometimes quiz people and say, can you find my dad on there twice? Because uh, he actually, he graduated three times, but his, his grad picture is only listed there twice. Um, once from high, he graduated from high school, from, from the college twice. And uh, so his picture um, is there, but you, you can do that. But it's also a bit of a reminder, and I don't know how much the students realize this, but when you walk down and you see all of these, the, the pictures of all of these people, that you're reminded that you're not the first ones to walk this hallway, and you won't be the last. There is a cloud of witnesses that has been on this journey together. Seeing as we're part of this cloud of witnesses, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, is what, the, is what the sermon says. Now, I'm not much of a runner. I never have been, and I never will be. Uh, competitive running is not in my genes, uh, and not in my legs, for sure. Um, and, uh, in fact, I look rather foolish uh, going anything above a brisk walk. Um, so maybe the analogy that would suit me better would be in terms of go-kart racing. Because I love speed, okay? I love going fast. And, I mean, I learned to drive on the hills of Rosal. Of course I know how to go fast um, and get away from, you know, people uh, that might be chasing you uh, from Pleasant Valley. No, uh, after one of our tobogganing runs. But... There is this sense that, I mean, I've gone to Speed World in, in, in Winnipeg. And that's, a, that's one of those go-kart tracks where you actually do need a little bit of skill. But what's helpful is if you know the correct line all the way through. Because if you go and you follow the right line, know when to break, know when to speed up, where to, where to cut the corner, where to swing wide, all of those things, you're going to get through it the fastest. Fixing our eyes on Jesus is like knowing that having this pace car in front of us that tells us exactly where the right line is through the entire course. We remove all that would hinder us, the things that slow us down, lose the weight so we can go faster. I wish I could do that quite easily, but it's a little harder than it looks. Um, what are these habitual sins that trip us up? That might be a good place for us to start. What about, what about our reluctance to be transparent about our doubts and thoughts? 
So we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We keep our eyes totally focused on Jesus. A singularity of emphasis. The composer of the sermon is crafting a compelling vision of being a Christian. It begins with Jesus superseding the law and the prophets. This should impact the way we read the Bible. Jesus becomes the lens through which we understand and interpret the rest of the Bible. The story of God's people is about a people seeking to understand and follow the God who covenants with them and out of who comes the truest understanding of who God is. That is Jesus. Out of this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, we come to understand that if you want to know what God looks like, look to Jesus. He's the complete revelation of God. But what about this discipline piece? So if we're fixing our eyes on Jesus, what does it mean then when it says, have you, not, have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you? Have you ever thought of that? Uh, here are the encouraging words God has spoke to you as children. My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. And don't give up when he corrects you. Why instantly, why is it that after this focusing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, must we come to this idea of suffering? Must we come to and, and, and try to seek to understand what to do when trials come? Well, because when we look to Jesus, our model is one of sacrificial life giving. And so if we're going to look to Jesus, there should be an expectation that as we look to him, we need to understand his suffering. We do this uh, in verse 3. It says, think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. We need to, we need to ponder on the, the work in which Christ did on the cross, but the punishment that he endured at the hands of sinful people. Trials along our own race are opportunities for us to reframe. What the author is trying to do here is trying to teach us how to reframe the things that come along that, that burden us, that suffer where we suffer. When we're, we're dealt with death and we have to deal with the pain, sickness, when we deal with being persecuted or having our business suffer as a result of, of living ethically, all of these things, how do we understand them? Do we understand them as God going and inflicting on us some kind of punishment because he wants to make sure we're deserved of his love? Or is it rather that the writer is inviting us to, to reconsider how we might view suffering in light of fixing our eyes on Jesus? And I think the reframing is a better way to understand that the author is trying to use a, a typical understanding of what, a, what parenthood involves and say, is this necessary in terms of infliction? 
uh, as a parent, I can tell you that I have no desire to inflict pain or inflict punishment on my, on my children. Now, thankfully, uh, the youngest one is turning 18, and so I think those, those years of, of serious inflicting of, of, of any kind of suffering, most of the time they, they now are enduring their own uh, suffering from the choices that they're making. But as a parent, I'm not going and, and inflicting on it, but I invite my children to see the discipline as an opportunity to grow. I think I need an illustration. Recently, as I was meeting with a student, we'll call him John. Why? Because we don't have that many, uh, we'll call, say John and Paul. It keeps them somewhat, uh, because there are students here, I'll, it keeps it somewhat uh, anonymous. As I was meeting with a student named John, he told me of an encounter he had with another student, Paul, in residence. Paul had made John a cup of coffee. Now, John came to me and confessed that the cup tasted terrible. The cup of coffee was awful. But that he had humored Paul and taken the cup. He had sipped the coffee and later poured the remaining portion out when, when, um, when Paul wasn't looking. Now, John had told me in the past in his, his uh, program is that he'd like to be a pastor in the future. So I suggested to John that Perhaps, rather than just seeing this as a failed attempt at making a cup of coffee for a friend, that he see it as pastoral training. I invited him to reframe it. I said, if you want to be a pastor, you're going to go visiting to many different places, and trust me, you're going to get many really bad cups of coffee. As someone who loves, like, good coffee... I can be a bit of a snob when it comes to coffee. And so I can instruct him and say, if you think, I mean, and he was trying to play off of my love of coffee and saying, yes, it wasn't nearly good enough for you. Um, and I'm going, no, no, there are many times in this world as a pastor where you are going to have to drink the entire cup of coffee and love every sip of it. Do you understand? So don't consider this as a failed attempt to make coffee. Consider it as pastoral training for the future. When my parents were attending SBC, and maybe the students today would say the same thing, uh, they used to consider cafeteria food missionary training. Okay, now, did, did the people in the cafeteria intend to make food that was not palatable? No. I believe with my whole heart that they wanted to, to genuinely give really good food, but they were limited in resources and limited in time, and, and there's all sorts of other factors going on. And so they were invited by President Ides at the time to consider this as missionary training. You are going to eat many different foods that you have no idea where it came from or if it might get you sick. And so you're going to learn to pray a prayer. Lord, I'll take it down. You keep it down. <laughs> okay? That's what my parents taught me in, 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 the, in the process as well because they learned it at Bible college. Again, is the intent of the one doing this to cause harm. No, but it's a way in which we can reframe something and saying, if our eyes are fixed on Jesus, when we encounter suffering, when we encounter the, the trials of this life, we ask the question, now how could we reflect Jesus in this moment? How could we be shaped in our own lives in this moment? 
That's what looking to Jesus is. That's what it looks like to reframe our trials and our struggles in terms of discipline. Not to make God out to saying, I'm going to get you. I'm going to make sure that you're going to know this one. But rather that he's inviting and saying, when you face these things, look to me and ask the question, what do I need to learn from this? How are you shaping me into your likeness? How can I respond in the best way possible? How can I be like Jesus, the model and perfecter of our faith? And so we serve a God who doesn't want us to live undisciplined lives, but rather to keep our eyes on Jesus and, and to see these things as discipline for us that, and, and as divine discipline. Because it's shaping us into the image of Jesus. Allow the spirit who indwelled Jesus to rest in you. That's verse 13. Or verse 12 and 13. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Because as we take a new grip, as we strengthen our knees, I've, I've learned that last year at this time, I was, uh, I was in a brace and uh, at times using a, actually using a, uh, a cane because I had a torn meniscus in my left knee. And the doctor looked at me and said, yeah, we could do surgery, but it's not going to help a whole lot at this point. Um, it's the best thing for you to strengthen your knee. And so he said, and the best way is to get on a bicycle. So I got back on a bicycle, and I've been biking ever since. And I'm walking, and I'm actually doing stairs and, uh, and not limping, which is pretty remarkable. It's disciplining, though, that, is, that has brought me to that. It's saying, I have to do this to strengthen. But why? Because we, too, are part of the cloud of witnesses. So that those who come behind us, so that they will see. So that those, uh, mark a straight path for your feet, so that those who are weak and lame will not fall, but become strong. So that those who have tired hands and those who have weak knees will be able to see how you are dealing with these, these trials and be strengthened through you. Kind of all comes back to this this, this loop. So my encouragement to you is that as we run our race, may our eyes be fixed, fixed on Jesus as co-heirs, brothers and sisters, to Jesus. That those around us would see Jesus glorified. May we face the shadow knowing that God is with us and, and that he invites us to lift our eyes to Jesus that we may be more, uh, that we may represent him to a world that knows only punishment and revenge. And we do this together. We do this as a body. We're here to support each other. I, I went on your website this morning, and you make an emphasis that we are a, we're a, a country church that's about community. And I go, amen. That's how we are strengthened together. That's how we... That's how we uh, 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 continue to, to grow 
is as, as we do this as a, as a community. And so I want to invite the team to come back up. And that first song that we sang, uh, Oh How Good It Is, it's a song that speaks about a community of faith and that we would be uh, a people of faith uh, that live and serve together. And so um, I invite you to stand together as, as we sing that song. <laughs> 